This podcast is a part of the Newhoff Media Podcast Network. Authenticity, balance, and a little moxie. This is The Morris Code with your host, Dr. Juanita Morris. Hey, 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 babe. Hey, honey. How are you? I'm doing great. It's been a long time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you being in the studio. I came back, what, one day? You done a premiere, like a, I did. a guest invite? I did. Yeah. Maybe like, what, 10 minutes, 15 minutes? In and out. You were yeah. you were gone. Hey, you were busy. You were busy. What was I doing that uh, day? You have been rocking and rolling for the past eight, 10 weeks. I have. Yeah. We have. We, yes, yes, we yes, have. Yes, you have as well. Yeah, I so mean, it's we. Still a lot. <laughs> it's still a lot. We are um, technically in the studio on Saturday, July 29th, the morning of the. And I only say that because they're going to say this is pre recorded. Okay. <laughs> they all say right. it all the all time. Right. So right. I might as well be super duper transparent and say we're in the studio early morning on Saturday, July 29th. And I'm super duper excited. Welcome to The Morris Code. I'm your host, Dr. Juanita Morris. And along with me in this journey and in life's journey is my husband. Been Dr. JK. That's me. Yeah, that's you all day. Okay. It will be 20 years on August, August 30th. 30th. So yeah. a few more days. A, few, uh, a month. <laughs> a month from now. A few more days. A month from tomorrow. <laughs> okay. We're being technical. So <laughs> I am um, very excited. We've done some work in this community over the past two years. Um, in two, three years, maybe. Yeah. It, it feels like more than two years. Does it? Well, we've yeah. been here six. Right. Year six, yes. Um, but somewhere along the line, when we came back, our journey started with us trying to figure out what came next. We walked away from everything in, in um, Jackson, Mississippi, because mm-hmm. it was time to come home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am not shy about saying that there was no one in my community at that time or surrounding community that would even hire me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you, you're not co-signing. Oh. Uh, <laughs> It's fine. You know. <laughs> yes, I do. Right. Um, and so we were trying to figure out and understand what came next for us. My mom was a super, fairly big advocate of you need to figure out how to start your own business. Um, yes. And because she had worked for a company for 40, 41 years, but that was her thing. She's like, Michelle, I've done that. And you need to figure out how to start your own. And I'm like, uh, okay. So I will say that I'm a first generation entrepreneur, but you are not. I am not. Uh, no, my uh, family is it's filled with, with people who have decided that the traditional w- route of working and managing uh, is not kind of the, the direction that they wanted to go. My father is a farmer, yep. right? So he does his own thing. He's passionate about that. And uh, absolutely. That, and he has done that since I was probably about five, six years old. Yeah. Yeah. So your about, uncles are, are my entrepreneurs. Uncles, my uncle has his own or had had his own uh, real um, real estate firm. Yep. And I had another uncle who had his own uh, law firm. As well as a church. As well as a pastor. A at pastor in a yeah. church. Yeah. And so. then uh, what else? My grandfather was a farmer as well. 
in the so, Mississippi Delta, matter of fact. And so that your your lineage is, and we talk about it, it sometimes is is just different from mine, right? Yeah. Like I my my folks worked and right. they went to work, and for me and for them, even with with your family though, it was still important to get an education. Always for my folks, my mom and my dad in particular, the the way that you shift this for me is through education, mm-hmm. and they they were steadfast about that. Right. Um, I will say that I'm probably the first um, to finish um, master's degree for sure. Mm-hmm. My mom has a bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. First to finish a PhD, abs- for sure, mm-hmm. along the way ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, that was this whole concept of entrepreneurship is right. really not about a business, but it is how do you design your life? And your life is um, an entrepreneurial exercise. Right. It's kind of how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. So we came, we started Nature's Way Lawn Service. Right. Yeah. yeah, we did. Which was always a conversation because you got this... Uh, <laughs> It's a good-looking black man. No. <laughs> riding Shameless a, oh my god, that's riding a new to you lawnmower. That's right. Everything was new to you. Everything was brand new. Never had, never, uh, other than um, kind of mowing our own yard or mowing our own grass, did we ever even, you know, venture into <laughs> lawn service? And then having the ability or the opportunity to, to grow that business in this city uh was phenomenal you know um you you just you would not expect that that would be the route that we would have to that we would go absolutely uh to start uh, our own thing but it we did yeah and we started nature's way lawn service with our own family vehicle which was a tahoe right we borrowed money from my mom for the trailer Trailer, right and we used the lawnmower that we brought from from mississippi we did (laughs) and and like that's that was it that was a city contract we wrote a city contract we wrote wrote for a city contract we had some 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 um assistance along the way from people who said this is kind of the the direction that you might want to go in and uh, yeah, we did it. We yeah. absolutely did it. And uh, and Nature's Way fed our family for five years. Yeah, it did. It, I mean, it fed it fed us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it helped us get into our best shape ever. <laughs> One a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it did. So that experience, I think, taught me a lot. I think that we grew um, together mm-hmm. and apart mm-hmm. and together mm-hmm. and apart. We mm-hmm. had ebbs and flows and in right. understanding. So while we started Nature's Way, we also started um, Packet School Supplies. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like we had something else going. Hmm. 4M Ed Services. Started doing some consulting, consulting. work in, right. in education. That's right. But the... What I think sometimes the challenge that we have is that it doesn't make sense to other people. Mm -hmm. And we wrestle with this idea of making it make sense. Like here you are, like you said, just good looking, handsome, fly, dapper. Really? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to lift. You're going to (laughs) blush. I'm going to to live to regret that one. But like in, in all honesty, well polished and and well educated on a lawnmower. Yeah. And so, but the same thing applies. My dad has a, a master's in civil engineering, right? But yeah. he's still a farmer, right? Well, and it's no different than even when I was home. And the question is, why are you at home with your kids with a PhD? You should be at work. Right. Well, I wanted to be at home with my kids. With my kids. Yeah. 
But what happened was I ran across a um, a webinar, mm-hmm. and it was about this book about who owns the ice house. And I sat and I listened to the webinar at no cost and un- tried to understand what was going on and what this book was about. All like I, I just the title I was like, okay, I'm gonna check it out because it had entrepreneurship in the in in the title. Mm-hmm. So I listened to the webinar and then I said, hey, hun, you you. We, As you always do. <laughs> when there's a hey, hon, there's like, a mess. Oh, yeah. I mean, no. <laughs> what now? What's next? Like, yes, babe. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I, I ordered the book uh-huh. and, and I audibled and I um I read it. So yeah. I read it and then I audibled the book. Yeah. And then I said, you really need to read this book with me. Did I read the book? Probably not. I don't think you, I did. I my like, best I... idea is you, they just be true. <laughs> Flying by like rockets. I, I, I reel them back in. Eventually, I do reel them back in. Eventually, yeah. But then there was so we we did. I looked at it. Well, no, right. Oh, wait, wait, That's wait, wait. Right. The story is 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 out of order. So we were in St. Louis we at a diversity yes um, symposium yes. for a company. Yes, and we were new entrepreneurs, and we we're like we're going to the thing to get registered. Right. And uh, you said I think I think I know. So the keynote speaker. Uh, I, I said, I think I know him. I, I like, think I know he he knows our family. I think he's been to my mom and dad's house, right? And that's exactly what I'm going to. I'm going to go and meet him. I'm going to go say hello. And you said, come <laughs> on, let's go. And I was like, so we're at the Four Seasons. And yeah. I was like, this gnocchi that was prepared especially for the vegetarian, I'm cool. I'm <laughs> eating this food. And I was happy. <laughs> so we did. Yeah, we did. We went and met and uh, met Clifton Talbert, um, the one of the writers of uh, this book, Who Owns the Ice House. I didn't know anything about the book yep. at that point in time. I just knew that my folks knew Clifton Talbert. And so when I got the book and I listened and I read, it started talking about experiences in the Delta. Yeah. And that is when the connection kind of, mm-hmm. I was like, man, I think that this this is who he was talking about. So I went back and I found the picture and I was like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. So then they had a, there was a training, um, facilitation training. Mm-hmm. We had read the book, and I thought yeah. um, we really should become facilitators. facilitators because I felt like we made sense mm-hmm. al- along the way. You saw yourself. You saw us in those eight life lessons. And it helped to center the work. Mm-hmm. Like I, I knew I'm, I'm pretty cool with following that internal locus of control. Yeah. But it was so many questions, and you, in new entrepreneur, so I'm trying to figure out, well, is this right? Is this not right? But when I read the book, it grounded me almost in the theory and in the principle of understanding not only entrepreneurship, but the connection to mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. which for me is really that faith-driven, intentional living work, that authenticity that we talk about. Yeah. What was that for you? The book? Yeah. Oh, the book was, uh, the book was, it's going back into the Mississippi Delta. Yeah, this is really spot on. This is really how things kind of occurred. This is how things happen. Let's look at these eight eight life lessons. I've read the book once, audible did again, read the book again, audible did again, and just kind of resonated with those 
lessons, those, yeah. those the, the, the story. And, and it just kind of felt like it was a natural progression of kind of where we were and what we were doing for me. And so for us, we started to um, figure out not only how to become facilitators, but how to make help other, in particular, uh, black and brown entrepreneurs in our community make sense of themselves and the work that we're doing. Because a lot of times we're driven by the external, mm -hmm. and this book shifts the mind to the internal. Mm -hmm. So we are super excited. When we come back from break, we're going to have a conversation with uh, the author of the book, which is Gary Schoeniger, and um, he is in town to deliver the keynote address to the Civic Leadership Institute's uh, third annual award ceremony. And so we are lucky to have him in the studio. So we'll be right back. This is The Code with your host, Dr. Juanita Morris. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back to The Morris Code. I'm your host, Dr. Juanita Morris. And uh, you back you in cut him off, didn't you? <laughs> Back in the studio, your first day. It's your song, your theme song. You cut him off completely. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. I was trying to get to our guest, so we. Uh, <laughs> Dr. JK is clearly back, y'all. Uh, but we are super excited because we are joined in the studio with Gary Schoeniger. Good morning. I guess or afternoon by the time or evening when by the time folks listen to it. It'll hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm, I'm happy so glad to be you're here. here. You Thank have you. A, you were supposed to fly in. Yeah, yeah. that didn't work out so well. <laughs> no. He's telling you to bring your mic up so we can hear you a little better. Yeah. Like that? Yeah, that's good. better. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. So you made it in. You had to drive. I had to drive. No big deal. You had a good drive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Went to dinner last night. Yes. Y'all ate meat. I ate fish. Okay, so that doesn't count. <laughs> it doesn't meat. count. I don't know. I hope my wife's not listening. To this. <laughs> <laughs> so you you didn't ha you didn't have meat, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just move on. <laughs> So we are avid, 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 um, not, e yes, Ice House, but the framework mm -hmm. of, of, of the eight life lessons and how it really helps us to recenter and reshift our mindset and focus. Can you share, let's talk about, I guess, who you are and how did you get to this, this work? Yeah, yeah. So thank you, Juanita, and thank you, Jeremy, for having me here. Um, you know, it's been, a, it's been more than 30 years, but, but for, let me start with this. So, you know, I was not a great student. Yeah. I came from a blue community, didn't have a lot of money. We weren't poor, but I, we didn't have a lot of money. Uh, I wasn't a great student. You know, as the further I advanced in school, I did fine through middle school, you know, through yeah. high school, middle school, high school, the wheels really fell off the wagon. And I, I was telling Jeremy, you know, before we recorded you know, I, I stopped showing up about mm. halfway through 10th grade, physically, emotionally, yeah. mentally. And, and you know, I barely graduated from high school, and, and now I'm out in, in, on my own. Yeah. And I got to figure out how to make my way in the world. Yeah. And college just wasn't on the radar. I mean, four more years of this, no yeah. thank you. That, that's how I thought of it at the time. Yeah. And... You know, like a lot of people in that situation, I had, uh, you know, a whole series of 
you know, kind of low paying, mind numbing jobs, mowing lawns, working in restaurants, you know, roofing houses, just. Yeah. And and I, I became an entrepreneur out of necessity. Mm. And and that really. <clears throat> so I'll spare you a lot of the details, but uh, in my late 20s, after I'd failed once at, at my first attempt at my own business, mm-hmm. I took a borrowed ladder and I strapped it on the roof of my car. And I and I, I here I am. This this is in 1987, so I was 28 years old. Uh, borrowed ladder. I had no money. Yeah. I have no d- education beyond high school. Uh, I, I got no money, no credit. You know, I'm just tired of these minimum wage jobs. And I had this idea that you know, if I went into a wealthy neighborhood where I'm not from, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm out of my comfort zone. This is the point I'm trying to make here. But I'm yeah. a little bit desperate. And that made me more than a little bit desperate. I borrowed a ladder from a friend of mine because I didn't have the money to buy a ladder. Yeah. But I had an idea that if I went into a wealthy neighborhood that people might pay me $100. 1987, it's about 260 bucks today. Yeah. To climb up on a ladder and clean the leaves out of their gutters, out of the rain gutters. Hmm. That, that was the idea. That was my hypothesis. I didn't, sure. you know. And I got a customer on my first day. And I had enough common sense to show up, do a really good job, like yes. pay attention, neat. Yes. You know, I'm dressed. You know, I, I don't look like a bum. You know, I'm polite. I'm making sure the customer's satisfied. And that was really the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey. And 12 years later, I was doing $5 million in revenue. Yeah. And, and in that journey... I, I had this idea, like, how do underdogs win? How do people who don't have any particular advantage in life, how do they manage to create something out of nothing? Mm-hmm. That was the question I was, I've been trying to answer for 30 years. How do underdogs win? So can we go just one step back? Because I, I think that when you mentioned that what you failed, you felt like you failed, even in education, you were failed or you just wasn't the jam. And then you said your first business failed. Mm-hmm. Talk about how do we talk to young folks or, or, or even adults who struggle with this idea of failure or this expectation of self-perfection? Mm, mm, wow. Okay, so so I'm going to try to unpack this in, in, in a short, in a minute yeah. here, okay? So entrepreneurs appear to be mysterious figures to us. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Only to the extent that we are ourselves steeped in what I call a managerial paradigm. Okay. Okay. And manage. And, and management isn't a bad thing. Right. Management is important for efficiency right. and replication. Like once something has been mm-hmm. confirmed as useful, mm-hmm. yeah. then we need management to replicate that useful thing and distribute it out into the world. Yeah. You with me? Yeah, over and over okay. again. Okay. Yeah. So, but the cultural values of managerial thinking are focused on efficiency and are therefore intolerant 
of exploration and experimentation. Right? That's powerful. It is. And so the the idea is that what, what entrepreneurs are doing, I'll back up one more step. Let's break this down. Let's use first principles to use Elon Musk's, you know, mm-hmm. language. <laughs> we all live by exchanging useful things with each other. Mm-hmm. Right? That's yeah. how the world works. Adam Smith wrote that in The Wealth of Nations in 1776. That's the dawn. That's the essence of the Industrial Revolution. We all live by exchanging. And what Smith said is, is that, so we're all merchants in some sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay? So now the question becomes, what is the useful thing that you are exchanging? Right. And with whom are you exchanging it? Yep. And I think more importantly, what is the mechanism by which you learn how to become useful? Are you relying on someone else to tell you how to become useful or are you figuring that out for yourself? Mm-hmm. So the only difference between, you know, so, so I, I want to come back. I don't want to get too far off your question. That, that managerial paradigm is an error reducing paradigm. You mm-hmm. talk about failure. Yes. Entrepreneurship which I define as the self-directed pursuit of opportunity to create value for others is an error-inducing paradigm. Yes, yes, yes. Okay? It requires failure. Failure. Yes. But, comma, Hmm. it requires like micro experiments. Mm -hmm. It requires us to try lots of things on a small scale until we figure out something that's working. Yeah. Right. That's really it. But, but that, that error inducing discovery, what I call the opportunity discovery process is so foreign to us because we've been acculturated into this managerial paradigm that tells us you can't make a mistake. That's so good. That is so good. I I can see that. You know, you can see that that if you take your fast food industry, right, you've got, and it's based on efficiency 100% of the time, Mm -hmm. right? So you've got the same thing that you make every day the same way. There is no opportunity for discovery (laughs) of anything. Nothing. You don't deviate. This is how it is going to be. This is how it is. And all of a sudden, Susie Q comes in and says, nope, I don't want that, 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 or that on my whatever. Now we've got to change. We've got to shift. We've got to figure out, okay, how are we going to do this? Mm Mm-hmm. It's none. You can't deviate. You shouldn't. You, that 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 industry. You don't deviate. But you take a barbecue restaurant or another steakhouse or whatever that's independently owned, and you have the opportunity to say, "Okay, let's try something different. Let's see how this works." Micro experimentation to see if it works, and then expand on it. 
I think the challenge is, is when I when I listen to the example that you just provided, Dr. J.K., and I listen to you, Gary, the challenge is from an educational standpoint that we have created systems and we have created managerial systems for people who are regular folks, right? And so even if I think about the institute and the work of the institute or diversity, equity, and inclusion, or all of these other things, the intent of that work ultimately is is to challenge the 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 management of the systems. Because the status quo. The status quo. Because oftentimes, when they are created for efficiency, they are the the the, the mere creation for efficiency oftentimes excludes whatever. And, and so whether it's ideation, whether it's thought, whether it's variation, whether it's women, whether it's kids, whether it's black and brown folks, this, when we challenge the status quo and we challenge the systems that have been created in such a fashion to be efficient, we automatically create this, this paradigm that excludes people mm. through the processes. Well, so so let me let, let me let me riff on that for for a second, right? I mean, I think the message from the ice house, yeah, the unwritten message, the unspoken message from 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 the ice house book, is that the ability to make yourself useful to other humans, yeah, is a source of power. And I don't mean power in terms of dominance, like dominating others. It's a source of empowerment, right? In like efficacy and agency. Yeah. yeah. And it's a source of power that is available to anyone mm -hmm. in any situation. The more useful we become to others, the better off we are going to be not only from an economic perspective, but from a developmental perspective, sure. from, a, from in terms of being optimally engaged, from being fulfilled. I'm talking about psychological well-being. I'm talking yeah. about meaning and prosperity. I'm talking about both, Let's right? See. So that's really the unspoken message. Mm -hmm. And that's what Uncle Cleve demonstrated, right? He figured out how to make himself useful mm -hmm. to other black folks, to the yeah. Jewish folks, to the Chinese folks, to yes. the white folks mm -hmm. in the Mississippi Delta at the height of legal segregation. Yeah. And he just played it cool. He just played it cool. He wasn't wearing his money on his sleeve. Yes. Mm -hmm. He had his money in the bank. They wouldn't let him go in the front door. He had to go in the back door. But he took his money and put it in the bank. And Ice House wasn't the only thing he owned. Yeah. But as Clifton Talbert himself told me many, many times, you know, there were books in his 1947 International Harvester pickup truck. He was reading the newspaper. He was reading books. He was driving to the next town to sit down with uh, uh, Mr. Friedman that owned the Jewish mm -hmm. grocer. Mm -hmm. He, he, he was downloading. Mm -hmm. He was learning. He was, you know, that's what he was focusing on. He was fixing high-dollar cars. Mm. You know, some guy bought an expensive car. He didn't know how to fix it. Yeah. Uncle Cleve got his hands on the owner's manual. Yeah. Right? That's, 
that's the message. Like, you can, anyone can figure out how to make themselves useful. And, and back to the scenario, you know, you're working in a fast food restaurant. If you can recognize, like, it's up to me to make myself as as possible in this situation, mm-hmm. opportunities will begin to appear. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. But if we just phoning it in, if we're just doing what we're told and showing up and clocking in and clocking out, eh, not so much. Everybody's doing that. It's the path of least resistance. Everybody is doing that. Yeah. What are you doing over and above? or What are you doing different that sets you apart from anybody else in that same business, in that same space? But what are you doing to be authentically you? Yeah. Listen, you listen to Be Morris Code, and we are super lucky to have uh, Gary Schoeninger in the studio with us today. We will be right back for more conversation. This is The Morris Code with your host, Dr. Juanita Morris. Back. Welcome back to Be Morris Code. I'm your host, Dr. Juanita Morris, and along with me in the studio is Dr. JK, as well as, uh, what you laughing at, babe? Because that one just played longer than mine. <laughs> you got to take that up with, <laughs> with, the, uh, with the producer. Did not get shut off. Oh, you're saying it's I like jumped smoking. in? Well, yeah. Oh, okay. So that's not the producer then. That's not. That would be me. Yes, yes. That's correct. We can talk about it later. We'll, we'll do what we can. <laughs> We are in the studio with Gary Schoeninger, and it's still about you, hon, isn't it? Oh, 20 years later, it's about, still us. about you. Oh, it's about us. It's about us. Uh, Gary, how you doing? Uh-oh. I can't hear you. You guys? That's because okay. I didn't turn his mic on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm so out of control. How are you doing now that I didn't turn the mic on? <laughs> I'm doing fine. I'm yeah? doing fine. I'm enjoying the conversation. Okay, so tell me where we want to start, because you all were making some really good points uh, before we left for the last break. So, so, so the idea we we were talking about is, is that entrepreneurship is the self-directed pursuit of opportunity to create value for others, and by creating value for others, we can empower ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I we talked about this before. Like, it's not just economic empowerment, but it's personal empowerment. We tap into. You know, the, the, the desire to fulfill human needs is a powerful motivational force. The, the desire to fulfill human needs through our own efforts mm-hmm. is a powerful motivational force. Yeah. And, and what entrepreneurs don't realize, or, or much less observers, is that what we're doing is we're tapping into this super potent motivational force. When we're able to pursue things that interest us and develop our abilities in ways that create values, we become optimally engaged. And in that sense, entrepreneurship empowers ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And, you know, I years traveling all over the world, interviewing dog entrepreneurs, people who've started with nothing, less than nothing, mm. and managed to create something. And, and, you know, the important, I think one of the important points is that, that 
these underdog entrepreneurs are in every community. Yeah. They have access to the same resources as everyone else. The only thing that distinguishes them from anyone else is their mindset. And that's what I've been doing for the last 30 years is, is sort of downloading yeah. what the, the, the subtitle of the book is, is Eight Life Lessons yes. from an Unlikely Entrepreneur. Yep. These are so, so what, what my work has really been about is, is interviewing all these underdog entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. looking for the common and controllable factors in their beliefs and their behavior. So if somebody says, well, I won the lottery and started a business, well, that's not really controllable. I can't replicate that. No, that's right. So good for you, but I'm not really interested in that story. I want to know how people, you know, who start with nothing. They have nothing. How do they do it? Yeah. Right? And, and... It, it's, you know, they're, they're, like I was saying a minute ago, I've seen a side of humanity uh, uh, that, that most humans have not seen. Mm-hmm. There's this vast reservoir of untapped human potential that we're not getting to with this managerial mindset. Now, I'm not denigrating the managerial mindset. No, it's needed. Yeah. But what I'm saying is the world has changed in ways that we now need both. Sure. And the secret to success is to understand which situation you are in mm-hmm. so you know which mindset to apply. Right. Yeah. If all you got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yep. And so really what Ice House is about is developing the cognitive flexibility to code switch. Mm. Yeah. Because once you figure out something that's useful to other humans, how do you exploit that? Now you got to exploit that. Now you sure. got to switch into management mode. Right. Yep. You got the discovery mode's got to kind of get tamp at that back down. Right. Got to keep that window open a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yep. But now it's about okay. Now let's replicate this. This is working. Let's replicate it so we can grow. I think the challenge is, um, and, and if I'm thinking about my community and I'm thinking about the work and I'm thinking a little bit beyond my community, the challenge is what I've experienced is this, this, um, this and it's not a conflict, but, but this idea of what traditional entrepreneurship is. Mm-hmm. You're coming to my class, you're going to um, have a business it's card, business you're going to have a logo. Yeah. Right. And so this idea of mindset mm-hmm. and me being my own, I am an entrepreneur, right? Just me in this life and in this world, my my task is to explore the opportunities that are put before me that I know that I should be working on. We have people who are working, right? And one of the things that you talk about a lot is, is that you don't have to quit your job in order to explore the thing you've been given. It's like, mm-hmm. how do we add value to the lives of others given our natural, innate, whatever, whoever you believe in, God-given talents or whoever. How do we do that? Because that's really where this idea of um, an entrepreneurial life and a shift in mindset comes from. And it's a scary proposition. Yeah, it's scary. It's exciting. Yes. You know, here's why I'm going to say this. We are probably living right now in the most opportunity-rich 
environment yes. in human history. Yeah. You can access a billion people with that device you got in your pocket. Yeah. Yep. Right? You couldn't do that 100 years ago. That's no. right. Right? That's right. Not at all. I mean, you know, Karl Marx wrote about this. Like, the Industrial Revolution, you know, a small handful of people controlled the means mm -hmm. of production. Mm -hmm. And the and so, you know, you needed millions of dollars to open a factory. Right. You, you got a cell phone, you're pretty good to go. Yep. You got access to knowledge, you got access to people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So... What I'm saying is, look, you know, here we are sitting in this beautiful studio looking over the city. Like, there's opportunities are everywhere out there. Yes. But they can't be seen with the naked eye. Mm. They can't be seen with a managerial mindset. They're invisible. They're latent. Mm. And so what we're talking about are unarticulated, unmet human needs. Yeah. People aren't walking around with placards saying, hey, I need this, I need that. And what makes it even more complicated is they'll say one thing, I need this, but they don't really need that. They want something, something else, else, right? Yeah. They don't know what they want and need. Yeah. They can't articulate what they want and need. So our job as entrepreneurs is to be like human need detectives, to experiment, to try things on a small scale. Yeah. And see what works. And and once you kind of tap into that, man, it life is just one big Easter egg hunt. It's trying to find that opportunity. Trying to find that one thing or a couple of things that you can do to create value for someone else. So something I'm talking about in my new book is the three dimensions of human needs. Ooh. Right? you got to understand human needs in three dimensions. At the top, on the surface, are the functional dimension of the need. Mm -hmm. Now, if, if all we relied upon was the functional dimension, we'd all be driving Toyota Corollas. Well, that's exciting. <laughs> right? Yes. And I'm telling you, well, I, I'm driving an Audi because of the superior <laughs> performance. Like, get out of here, right? <laughs> it's all about status. <laughs> Right. But I'm not going to admit that to you, right? right. Or maybe that's not even, I'm not even aware of it, Yes. right? Yes. But the deeper level of, of emotional intelligence is, is the social and emotional dimension of the human need. Mm -hmm. So I just told you the story about gutter cleaning, mm -hmm. right? Yes. People need their gutter cleaning. Your gutter gets, you know, people have money going to pay somebody. And by the way, I'm afraid of heights. Yes. Wow. So the desperation... Put me up on that high. ladder. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's a factor. But but the functional dimension of the need was I need my gutters clean because if they clog up, it causes other problems. Other problems. Okay. Significant problems, yes. But I also knew that I had to, you know, I was driving a beat-up old car, so I parked it at the end of the street where they couldn't see my car. Mm -hmm. And I had my pants, I know I had decent pants on and my shirt tucked in, and yes, ma'am, no, sir. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I understood it goes a long way. It's a deeper emotional need. They don't want some meth head knocking on their door offering the gutters out. They 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 want to feel safe they, and comfortable yeah, interacting. Right. Yeah. I intuited that. I didn't understand it. And what I'm saying is, you know, you can take the most basic idea mm -hmm. and you can go so far with it. If you understand those deeper needs, yeah. yeah. The deeper dimension, the social and emotional dimension. 
one, one of the entrepreneurs I interviewed was Brian Scudamore, the guy that started 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Yeah. He's picking up junk, knocking on doors, picking up junk. It's a, it's a $250 million business now. But you know the thing about that, even that video and that discussion with Brian Scudamore that is so beautiful is that he set the vision for his life. On a piece of paper. On a piece of paper front and back. And okay. he was very clear about the vision for it, standing right where he was. And then the second thing for me was when he mentions, you know, I um, was surrounded by my friends who were um, more successful. More successful. Yeah. And so we talk about, even in training, mm -hmm. like, who are you surrounded You're by? Yeah. I don't want to be at the $5 party. That's less than seven. Right. It That's is. And, and, you know, we surround ourselves with people who think and act more or less like we do because it's comfortable. It's, it's the comfortable. Default. That's the yes. default mode. Yeah. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day about this. Like, your willingness to be the dumbest is a superpower. Yes. Put yourself in that room. Yeah. Were yep. you the dumbest guy, the brokest guy, the it's least educated? Because naturally, those... Rising tide. That's right. It's going to come to you. Naturally, it's yeah. coming to you. That's it, 100%. Listen, and that's available to anybody. Anybody. Anyone. Yeah. Who's willing to be uncomfortable, right? Yeah. But the, it's easier, you know, it's easier to surround myself with people thinking, acting like we do. Yeah. And then we start congratulating yourself, ourselves about how unfair the world is and how. Victim. You know, how the victim mentality. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's understandable. Yeah. I yeah. totally understand it. But, but like, which wolf are you going to feed? Listen, you're listening to the Morris Code on WSOY 1340 AM, 103.3 FM is streaming live on NowDecatur.com. We'll be right back in the studio with Gary Shillington. This is the Morris Code with your host, Dr. Juanita Morris. Hey, welcome back to the Morris Code. I'm your host, Dr. Juanita Morris, and I'm super duper excited today to not only have my husband who has been MIA for about, hey, MIA. about eight weeks in the studio. Uh, I wish I was in Miami. <laughs> <laughs> you in, in Miami? You're crazy as a fox. <laughs> <laughs> I, w I wish you was in Miami, too, because I would be there, even though the water is probably terribly hot. Uh, but we are in the studio with Gary Schoeninger today. And so we yes, we're talking about entrepreneurship, but we are we are talking about people. We're talking about humans and we're talking about um, our internal locus of control. And we're talking about mindset. Right. Mm, that's it. That's really what it comes down to is 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 mindset and and. You know, as I said, I've been interviewing these underdog entrepreneurs for a long time. I've been looking at the literature to understand, like, what are the underlying causes of this behavior? What is it that empowers an orphan who has nothing? Yeah. They don't have academic credentials. They don't have access to money. They're not particularly brilliant. They're not particularly creative or charismatic, or they're not, you know, risk takers. How do they manage to create meaning and prosperity in their lives? And, and what I found essentially is the distinction lies in their underlying beliefs, mm. their mindset. Yeah. And it's beliefs in which the entrepreneurs themselves are largely unaware. 
They're operating sure. from underlying assumptions that they themselves are not aware of. And the core assumption is essentially uh, some version of it's up to me to figure out how to make myself useful to other humans. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the underlying logic that then sets the direction or the trajectory. Yeah. And you could go to your day job. Sure. Mm-hmm. But some part of your mind is thinking about you're looking for problems to solve. Right. Yes. You're looking, you're following interest in your abilities in ways that can add value. Yeah. Right? And so the more useful they become, the better off they're going to be. But, but, you know, what I, what, one of the things that's so fascinating to me is, is uh, the way a mindset works. And our mindset, th- there's two aspects of a mindset that I want to talk about. One is our mindset. So, so first of all, our mindset draws from past mm-hmm. in order to navigate the future. Mm-hmm. So we learn something, and then we accept that thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Psychology, they call that a schema. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We accept that schema as the correct way to perceive, think, act, feel. Sure, Right? Yes. Once our brains accept a particular schema as the correct way, our brains then relegate that schema to habitual control. Absolutely. And it falls off our conscious radar. Absolutely. So our brains are always seeking to automate everything so that we can navigate life yes. more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay? That's that's how we're wired. Yep. Okay. So, but the problem, once this schema, this idea, this whatever is perceived as the correct way to perceive, think, and feel, we're no longer aware of it. Yep. Okay? So, evolutionary perspective our mind is a feature. Mm-hmm. When we want the future to look like the past, we get better and better, more efficient yes. at doing the thing that yes. we do. The problems arise when we don't want the future to look like the past or the world changes and the future Absolutely. just doesn't look like Absolutely. the past. Mm-hmm. Now our mindset will hinder yeah. our ability to adapt in the face of change. Yeah. And the literature is very clear on this. Like, in, 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 when faced with an adaptive challenge, the novice mm-hmm. has an advantage over the expert. Over the expert. That's how come underdogs win. Yeah. Because they're not steeped in, they're not wedded to a status quo. Mm. They're willing to try things. Yeah. They're willing to be ridiculed. Yep. They're, and, and it's not because they're any personality traits. It's because they don't have options. That's mm-hmm. Right. Right. I mean, entrepreneurial activity arises from hardship. Yep. Because if what you're doing is working, don't mess with it. That's right. right. Keep going, doing it. You're in managerial mode. If it's working, keep doing it. Yeah. Right? The managerial mindset assumes we have the correct way. Yep. The entrepreneurial mindset assumes "Mm, maybe Maybe, not. Maybe not. That's right. Maybe we do it better. Or could we? But there's another aspect of mindset I want to dig into. So your mindset or hinder or enhance your ability yes. to adapt in the face of change, right? 
as, as Dr. Lands once said, like, nothing fails like success. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The mindset that was absolutely essential for you to su succeed in one paradigm or in one mm -hmm. phase of life mm -hmm. is the mindset that will now prevent you from adapting. Nothing fails like success. So that's, that's one aspect of the mindset I want to draw attention to. But the other is our mindset is this regulatory mechanism that determines the output we get from the horsepower we have. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, so Warren Buffett said it like this. You got a guy over here with a 400-horsepower engine. Mm-hmm. But his mindset is such that he only knows how to get 100 horsepower out of that engine. Yeah. We all know folks like that. We do. Okay. You got a guy over here with a 200 horsepower engine, but he knows how to get all 200 horsepower yeah. out of that engine. He's way better off than the guy with the 400 horsepower engine. Yeah. And so that's the other aspect. What I see in these underdog entrepreneurs, they're the 200 horsepower engine folks but they know how to get all 200 horsepower out of that engine. And sure. we'll try to find a way to increase the horsepower of the 200 power, horsepower <laughs> engine. Oh, yeah. Then they'll, 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 put, the, then, then they'll, they'll put, put, put a turbocharger yeah, that's on it. Or a supercharger <laughs> They'll turbocharge that. That's right. Right? Because when you think about it, there's no the only thing that prevents you from making yourself more useful to more people is you. Is you. What else is holding you back? What's that's the, that's the question. Yeah. What is preventing yes. you yeah, yeah, yeah. from making yourself more useful to more humans? Yeah. yeah. But but the thing about mindset, so I want to one last point I want to make about this is the thing that distinguishes the entrepreneur from the non-entrepreneur is entrepreneurs tap into their imagination. And again, they don't know they're doing this. Mm -hmm. This is not conscious most of the time. But so the way the mindset works is it draws from the past in order sure. to navigate the future. And that's how yes. we get stuck. Yes. Right. We assume that our operating system is the correct way to perceive, think and feel. Our brains unconsciously draw from memory to navigate the future. Mm -hmm. Right. Here's the thing that distinguishes the entrepreneur. They tap into their imagination and they all they'll all articulate some kind of a vision, some kind of a compelling goal mm -hmm. that they're striving to achieve. Mm -hmm. And what the literature tells us about that, there's an emerging field in psychology called prospection theory. Mm. That when we're oriented towards something positive in the yes. future that we're trying to make happen. Yeah. It allows us to tap into problem-solving abilities that are not otherwise available to us. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. the question I'd like to ask people is, like, what is your compelling goal? Do you have a compelling yeah. goal? And if you don't, why don't you have a compelling goal? That's telling me something about your mindset about your underlying beliefs and assumptions of which you are not aware. You know, Carl Jung said this. He summed up mindset beautifully. Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Mm. There's so many sparks flying, and I'm just going to 
try to hit on a couple because when y'all talked about the the horsepower and the engine that reminded me of um growth and fixed mindset mm-hmm. um and then when we talk about those things that are within us that are latent it really gets back at like Bruce Perry's work and others work on on not what's wrong with you, but what happens along the way. Mm-hmm. Because with all of us, either we are carrying it and it is hindering us or we have created compelling goals. Right. But there's another component here. You know what logotherapy is? Dr. Victor, uh, 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 Victor Frankl's work. Mm-hmm. Right. The compelling goal is the therapy. Yes. The search for yes. meaning, man's search for it's meaning. That. It's like if I have purpose and meaning and a vector in life, I have gifts. Mm. Yes. I have strengths. And when I can use those gifts to create value for my fellow human, like I become unstoppable. Yeah. But the only way we can do that is if we are authentic in that compelling goal. I cannot have Gary's compelling goal or Jeremy's compelling goal. I have to have the one that is specific and given to me, recognizing that it will evolve and evolve and evolve over time. So that, that that's it. That's the the, the, uh, the the point, the finer point in your comment that, that I want to make. It's a very powerful point you're making. But I want to make sure people understand this. You don't have to figure out your perfect thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. You have to get in the arena. I don't love gutter cleaning. (laughs) (laughs) I had to iterate my My way to my thing. So, So yes and yes. Yeah. But the point is, you know, what we're taught in life is you got to figure everything else out and yeah. then act. Yes. And that's prudent when you're taking big risks. Yeah. Very prudent. Yeah. yeah. You better look both ways before you cross the highway. Amen. Because right? there are consequences. There are consequences. <laughs> yes. Okay. But what we've never been taught, because we've been acculturated to a managerial paradigm, is there's a different logic. And it, it's called, it, it, technically, it's called effectual reasoning, but skip that. It, it, it's you have to go in order to know. Yeah. You cannot yes. know, know before, before you, you go. go. Yeah. yeah. Which is where we get stuck. This is where we get stuck. So that's where the micro experimentation yes. comes in. Okay. Yeah. Try lots of little things. Don't quit your day job. Don't drop out of school. Don't put yourself at risk. Yes. But when you get home from your job, that's sucking the soul out of you. <laughs> Do the thing that gives you life. Spend 20 minutes thinking about how can I make myself more useful? Start trying things. Yeah. You don't need money to do that. You You don't don't need a diploma to do that. You don't need anything you don't already have. You have everything you need to do what you've been called to do. That's That's right. You do. Came on the hard drive. Yeah, it did. It's downloaded. It's only, again, it's only foreign to us because it's so simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a simple secret and it's hiding in plain sight. It's only foreign to us because we're so acculturated to, to manage your real right. thinking. Yep. I need a diploma to get to the next level. I need somebody else to tell me what to do. You know, I travel a lot. I, I, I'm in airports and I'm talking to baristas. They got $120,000 in debt and a master's degree and they're working in a Starbucks because yep. they don't know how to make themselves useful to other, other humans people. with their knowledge without the guidance of another person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I got to note, people are waiting on you. All Apparently right. a lot of people. Dom. 
question for Gary? Anything you want to know, say, or ask? Because you were in uh, our Ice House uh, course. I don't have any questions right now, actually. No? No. I, I think maybe once the show ends, I might have a question <laughs> or two. But I'm just, like, just listening to everything because everything he's talked about is are things that I've gone through personally, yeah. maybe in a different area or facet, but there are things that I went through on that unlikely entrepreneurship d- journey. So Yeah, cool. Dr. J. This is okay. a fantastic conversation, and I wish you could be here for the rest of the week. Uh, <laughs> but No, he's doing work in South Africa. Yeah, he's, he's, I he's mean, he's here, there, and very, everywhere, very, writing and yeah. finishing up book two. And so I am, I am so excited to have you here. And I'm so thankful that we had this this opportunity to have this conversation. And I'm also excited that other people in our yes. community will have access to you today yeah. uh, for just a little while. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Thank um, you, guys. Okay. I, one last question. Talk to me about the grandbaby. Oh, <laughs> the love of my life. <laughs> Milena Maria Distin Scherniger. I, I just, I have an 18-month-old granddaughter, first granddaughter. Yeah. She's just the love of my life, and it's just. What happens when y'all become grandparents? Because you're know. not the same this way as you weird. were with parents. What what happens? I'm looking for my parents, and they're gone. I don't know, man. That's a good <laughs> question, you know? <laughs> but, like, I'll tell you what, though. Like, I had a grandmother that just spoiled me to death. Yeah. I was, like, the center of her universe. Yeah. I'm about to become that for my granddaughter. You were too. Am I? I mean, with your grandmother. Yeah. And I was with I'd my grandmother. I'd probably be a career criminal if it wasn't for my grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> we're thankful for her. Gary, thank you not only for spending some time with us. Thank you for even journeying to Decatur. Thank you for taking our calls and our emails and hopping on Zooms. We appreciate you. We do. I love you guys. We love you too. too. See you uh, at the ceremony a couple hours. Y'all need to get going. People are waiting. Yeah, we do. Yeah, bye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to The Morris Code on WSOY 1340 AM. 103.3 FM is streaming live on NowDecatur.com. We'll see you next week. Bye. You've been listening to the Newhoff Media Podcast Network. For more, visit NewhoffMedia.com.